Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush being recorded right here at WeWork in, uh, where are we? I was going to say Culver City, but that's not right, is it, Just Constellation. Constellation, Century City, Culver Century. Um, in case you guys are tuning in for the first time ever, this show covers all things ideas, innovation, creativity, amazing people doing amazing things, and wearing cool t-shirts. Tell us about this t-shirt you got. Ah, uh, that's Nina Simone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So... I found her later in life, but man, this woman was gifted. She gifted. sure was. She had pipes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the gentleman's voice you just heard is uh, Daryl Blocker. Say hello once again, Daryl. Hello. How you doing? I'm I'm doing quite well. Life is good. Yeah, life life is good. You, you, really is. You're a survivor. <laughs> I am. I, you know, I never really saw myself as a survivor. I just go with the flow. There are things you can control, things you can't. And I learned early in life just to focus on the things that I could control. And you learned part of that in 28 years. Tell us a little bit about the, the career path thus far. So the career path. Um, well, I just ended a 28-year career in the Central Intelligence Agency, Directorate of Operations, which is typically the side of the house that most people uh, read about in movies and see about uh, read about in books and see in movies and, and television shows, although not as uh, shall we say Hollywood esque as, as jump off any as, as, as Bond or or, <laughs> or Bourne or any of those guys. What, is there is there an accurate depiction that that was sensationalized but accurate? Well, here's what I will tell you. I've been getting that question a lot. We don't, we meaning Hollywood, and oh my God, I'm putting myself in Hollywood. <laughs> you are, but, you're, you're here now. Um, getting it right means we are going to be a less safe nation. Sure. So I love entertainment. I, I, I love Homeland. I met the cast and crew at CIA headquarters back in 2013, maybe early 2014. And one of the questions they asked me was, oh, what are we getting right? And I said, well, not much. But you don't want to get it right. And I went on to explain that the Russians and the Chinese and all the other folks out there who are trying to do us um, do us harm also listen to radios and read books and watch movies. And if we are able to accurately depict how we do our work, we will be a less safe nation. Yeah. So I'm not looking for accuracy. I'm just looking. I'm looking for anything there. The CIA guy isn't the most despicable character in the entire cast. And if we can start from there and move up, I think I will have uh, achieved what I want to achieve. Well, good luck battling battle <laughs> <in> Hollywood. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so, you know, as we were thinking out loud when we, we got together before, uh, I, I like this idea of risk with you. Right. Um, and, you know, because you are a family man on top of being undercover, on top of being undercover in several nations around the world. Right. Um, just tell us, like, I guess that balance of, of risk versus what your day to day job in real life is like. Well, the risk is inherent in the business. Espionage is illegal in every country on the planet throughout history. It's never been legal to you know, steal somebody's secrets. So by definition and by design, espionage is a risky, you know, risky endeavor. You can obviate or you can, you know, lessen the danger by getting good training, by constantly adhering to what we call tradecraft, 
which is taught at the farm. And if you've ever seen a uh, Hollywood movie or a spy movie, the farm is a real thing. And what about those ugly sweatsuits? No, 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 no sweatsuits, nothing like that. Right. Um, I was running around just like a, I, I know my job or now, at the park. Now the FBI does. The FBI Academy walks, you know, runs around with FBI printed on their printed on the shirts. Whereas the CIA, the folks who are undercover, like I was, and the people uh, primarily from the Directorate of Operations, we don't want anyone to know that we have CIA affiliation. It makes us less uh, capable, less productive, sure. less effective. Um, so we essentially walked around with the State Department cover, meaning I was a U.S. Embassy uh, official serving in, I'll just quickly run down. I went from language training and op certification to West Africa and Niamey Niger to Washington, D.C., where I did the Somali working group uh, in the aftermath, or actually in the lead up to and the aftermath of Black Hawk Down, including spending seven weeks in Mogadishu, probably one of the scariest places I've ever been in my life, but also one of the most exciting. Um, I found myself riding around to ops meetings, going out to meet agents, in a helicopter, which, you know, when you first joined the CIA, that's what you, right. what you, the sexy part that's what you envision, yeah. you know, back alleys, all this kind of stuff. But I really did go to meetings, uh, securely in helicopters. That was cool. Went from Somalia to a domestic location outside of Washington, DC to Dakar, Senegal, to Rabat, Morocco, Abuja, Nigeria, back to Washington, Kampala, Uganda, to Pakistan, to Geneva. And then I ran the farm, the schoolhouse, for three years. I was the deputy director of the counterterrorism center, meaning basically the number two for all counterterrorism operations for the agency. And then the Which job- Which you won an award for. I, I, yes. In 2014, I was awarded the George H.W. Bush uh, Award for Excellence in Counterterrorism. Hmm. And if you don't know, the CIA's official name is the George H.W. Bush Center for Intelligence. Oh, wow. So Bush, when he was the ambassador to the UN, he was a director to CIA, and he was always one of the very, very, uh, one of the real supporters of the CIA throughout his throughout his life and career. That's uh, that's phenomenal. Um, what, I, I was thinking about the idea of excellence, and, you know, we talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs on the show and creative types, and excellence means a little bit different <laughs> in terms of right. their day-to-day -day job, right? What does, what does excellence mean in, in the world you, you just came from? You know, excellence comes in, in many, many forms. Excellence could be, uh, I'll give you a, a, a perfect example, in the... When Zaire became the Democratic Republic of Congo back in the mid-90s, this was prior to the Hutu-Tutsi massacres, we had a station officer who was a GS-13, equi roughly equivalent to a major, who was our deputy chief of station, who stood up in front of a crowd of people who were pretty much going to, uh, they were on their way to do wreak some real havoc, to basically end a lot of lives. And this guy with his uh, non-native French stood up in front of this crowd of people and convinced them 
that returning to their homes was going to be in the best interest of everyone in the crowd and everyone uh, in in uh, in West Africa at the time. And for that award, this guy who didn't think he really did anything won the highest civilian award that the agency uh, gives. Wow. So it just, you don't plan for it. Sure. We're very reactive, but we're taught that way because what they're looking for when they're looking for an operations officer, and that's the job that I had, is they're looking for certain intellectual, social, and personality traits that are very fungible. And you can have all, mm -hmm. let's say there's 50 on the list. You can have all 50 and not make it through the training, or you can have a third of them and make it. It's really just, mm. it's kind of like a yo-yo. It comes and goes. But excellence is almost always um, comes up in in war zones and coups and going after the, the hardest of hard targets, yeah. trying to figure out what the North Koreans are going to do, you know, with their nuclear weapon uh, program. If someone is able to find that little nugget of information, that is excellence and almost always has to do with out performing the Russians or the Chinese or the North North Koreans or the threats. Well, I mean, it sounds like it requires so much. Cause I, I keep thinking about this idea of just calm under pressure, right? And uh, when uh, um, another, another conversation we had earlier today was just a multifaceted entrepreneur has a dozen and 20 different things going on at any given time. And of course, like that requires some grit and some like additional energy and effort. And right. You got to pay attention to a lot of different things. And still remain calm under pressure. Yes. You know, um, and the story, the anecdote you just gave is a great example of that. Um, is that a trait that can be taught? Does it come with experience or, you know, because there's, there's only so much it, training you can do right. until you experience it. And then you're like, OK, you're applying whatever you, you can. Right. And I think the same thing happens in business. But um, in, in that world, kind of just walk us through that that aspect of it. I do think it can be taught. Um but I also think that experience and learning from your mistakes. There's three things that I heard about the CIA for my entire 28 years in, that we were risk adverse, that we had morale issues, and that we had moved away from our original charter, which was laid out in the National Security Act of 1947. And I won't bore you with all the details, but it really boils down to three things that the CIA does. From 1942, up to 2019 and hopefully for the next 70 years forward. That is collection of intelligence, analysis of intelligence, and the execution of, of covert action, which belongs to the president. So the president will say, I need to be able to do this, but we don't want to show the American hand and CIA come up with a plan and let's, let's move forward and make it happen. So those are the three things that we do. Because we're not trying to focus on 15, 20, 30 things, right. if you continue to come back to the basics, if you continue to say, are, is what we're doing the right thing for the right reasons at the right time? And, and, and anybody can come in hindsight and say, ooh, that was a bad decision you guys made. But 12 or 13 days after 9-11, we were on the ground with a plan. Why? Because we're the CIA and that's kind of what's expected of us. And... We put our people in places that the military doesn't go. We put our places where nobody else in the government mm. goes, and we don't think twice about it. 
And a lot of times those people aren't armed with anything other than their ability to work things out and their ability not to lose their cool. Yeah. So yeah, it is. It is it is a taught and it's learned. Did that help you in marriage? <laughs> that's, that's the other side of it, right? Like e- either well, e- either home becomes an outlet or it becomes like uh, I exhibit this here too. Well, so recruiting an asset is just like asking, you know, a significant other to, you know, proposing marriage. And that's an analogy that they, <laughs> there's an analogy that you use in the schoolhouse. And of course, you're never going to ask someone to marry you that you think is not going to say yes. Just like you're not going to pitch an asset that you're pretty sure is going to turn you down. But it is courting. It is a courting. So the entire process, six steps that just repeat, 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 spot, assess, develop, recruit, handle and terminate. I'll begin with terminate because this is the the uh, uh, tender manifesto. I think it's written in the terms of service. It very well may be, <laughs> but I wanted to start with terminate because terminate doesn't mean what Hollywood has has depicted it as, as in a bullet in somebody's brain in the back right. alley of something. <laughs> You've been terminate for fifteen years, right? Term, terminate means you know what. The original reason that you agreed to do this and the original reason that we wanted you to do this, you know, that it's not happening anymore. Thank you for your service. Here's a way for you to contact us if anything goes wrong in the, pu- in the future. And basically, goodbye. So it's terminating a relationship, sure. terminating a contract, but not terminating someone's life. Right. So anyway, and I'll have to check out, I'll have to check out the tender uh uh, bylaw. That's, that's hilarious. Um, uh, wait, you had, so you have an iPad here. You had notes, um, which uh, what was what was on your notepad? What well, you, what the, your... the notes were mostly just the um, kind of the <laughs> operational traits. Gotcha. That uh, that are out there, and you know, if you talk about the one question I got as the chief of the operational training facility, more than anything, is what can I do to improve my chances of making it through, you know, making it through the farm? My response most of the time was absolutely nothing. Just, you know, just be yourself. Be the person that we hired. That's who we want to see down at the farm because you've already gone through enough uh, interviews. You've gone through mm-hmm. enough scenarios. The vetting where we, we know done. The vetting is done and we spent a long time doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, with the advent of Waze and all these technologies, there's a lot of shortcuts out there that if a spy, again, someone who recruits spies, but I'm going to use spy as sure. generic, um, those shortcuts get people killed. So when the students would ask me, is there anything? I said, yeah, if you're using Waze, if you're using GPS, turn them off, get lost, Figure out how one street connects to another. Figure out how to get around in in the in the morning, in the midday, in the afternoon. Have a good idea of where all the exits are. Um, preparation, being prepared, and you can only do that by thinking, not by googling it. Right. So, um, and and that googling leaves an electronic ta- uh, trail that will always be there. 
Well, I think there's something to be said about, you know, because we, we talked about, I asked you before when we met, I, I said, oh, what kind of technology tools did you use? Right. Like, no, you're like, we didn't use any, <laughs> right? Or barely. Um, and I, like, as a parent, sometimes I like, my one of my kids asked me for a definition of word. I'm like, go look it up in the dictionary on the shelf. Right, right. Like a physical, yes, book like where you can feel it and smell it. Exactly. Um, and because I think there's something to be said about just knowing what it's like to do that work and having the mental exercise mm -hmm. of like I have to go down an alph alphabetical list and Correct. know that A L comes before A, you know, A K. It's, it's important, right? Um, and so, how have you seen? I mean, uh, granted, those skills work well in, in right. this line of work. Um, do you see that missing in other areas of, of life today? My kids were 28 and 26, so they were the ages of a lot of the people who were coming to the farm for the first time. You have people who just graduated from college who under the CIA. You have people come to us from second careers as lawyers, as doctors, as military folks. So they're a little older in the 26 to 28 range. And I think the millennials get a bad, a bad rap. And you can find it on all the social media. I'm telling you, the millennials. Bad rap is also the name of my mixtape. So, <laughs> the, the, uh, the millennials are just as dedicated as the founders of the OSS. Mm. They just think differently. And I would always caution the old, you know, the old school guys who, you know, we have to do it this way, have to do it this way. Like, that's what we have to teach. But we're also here to learn from these, from the students because they see the world differently than we do. Right. And looking at a age old problem through new eyes, it's, it works. Yeah. So we would always ask the students, what have you learned today? But I was always asking the staff, what have you learned from any of your students since you've been here. And then we started collating a lot of that information yeah. and trying to use that to put it back into the training to make it more relevant well, so it's like for, it, for the younger group. It's generational psychology, right? In, Absolutely. In, in a sense. And it's also just general, like what's native to right. the group, right? It, like on the, I guess on the flip side, what examples do you, do you have where you did gain something from a millennial minded, you know, individual where you're like, ah, we should definitely do it this way. You know, nothing immediately comes to mind. Let me think about that for a yeah. moment. But I, I was always the guy who would make sure that everybody felt comfortable, mm -hmm. that everybody felt that when I asked for their opinion, that I really, really wanted to hear what they had to say. But I learned that the hard way. And if you listen to someone. People ask, what's the most, you know, if you had to narrow it down to one trait, it's listening. Mm. Listening is not waiting for your turn to speak. And that was something that as soon as you tell someone that, you can almost see the wheels turning. They're like, oh, you're right. Every one of us has been in that discussion where the person across from you is kind of moving just a little bit <laughs> and you know they're not listening to you. They're not, they, they've stopped hearing you. Right. All they're doing is waiting for their turn to speak. So when I would see those behaviors, when I would see a student who's like, oh, yeah, this is going to be the perfect. No, it's not because you're not listening and you've already missed maybe in a really, really important nugget of what um, of what someone isn't going to say. Because you're not always just listening to the words. You're looking at the body, right. what their what their body is saying. If their eyes are dart darting around, it's not even always that obvious. 
but listening is probably the one trait that I think is most important for an operations officer in, in the CIA. That's, that's great because I, I think about like there's always words in between the words, right? Like Absolutely. there's always something else. And I'm I'm from a very obviously different perspective. I'm sort of obsessed with like human behavior, like why yep. we choose to do the things we choose. Exactly. Whether it's a you know historical event that happened in your life or just a perspective that you have. Um, I was just going to ask you on the other side of listening, right? Mm-hmm. That, that person that is anxious to say something, right? Is that a psychological trick? Like, what is that? Is that uh, an ego? Is that a need to be heard? Is that, you know, I need to be right? So ego is is one of the, you're always looking for vulnerabilities or someone's motivations. And ego is one of them. Um, (laughs) I had a guy that I recruited and he was so smart. He was so smart that he was dumb. And he couldn't see, he literally couldn't see the softball curve that was coming at him. And I basically trapped him using his own words and using his own, you know, uh, egotistical mind to get him to think that what I was offering to him was his own suggestion. So (laughs) um, it, 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 we all do it. Yeah. We just do it in the CIA in a, in a way that is you know, documented mm-hmm. and tracked and made sure that you're adhering to, there are moral and ethical things that, that, uh, um, that most people don't associate with the agency. If I could, just a quick side story. Sure. I, I was, I was at a historically black college and university down in the Tidewater area of, of Southern Virginia. And I think the the CIA booth was one of maybe 60 or 70 booths, but only two or three government ones. And I just remember I was right next to the Waffle House, which I'm a Georgia boy. I love the Waffle House. <laughs> love so that so we were right there on the corner and the Waffle House guys were next to us. And there was this one young black black gentleman who just kept walking by the table, kept going past, but he would never approach. And I finally, when there was nobody standing there, I kind of waved him over and I said, clearly you've got some things that you want to, you want to ask, but you know, you didn't want anybody to be here. So now's the time to ask. And he looks at me and he says, how can you work for the CIA? They did, they did uh, experiments on, on, on blacks in the early 1960s. I'm like, yep. And we tried to kill Castro and we mined the harbors of Nicaragua and we tried to overthrow people back in the fifties and sixties. If you want to talk about ancient history, we can sit here and talk about this. Or I can give you what I think is what you're looking for, a future at the CIA, because there is one for you. And he just looks at me kind of askance. And then he thinks he has me. He says, okay, in one word, describe what you're looking for in a CIA officer. And I said, that's easy. Integrity. He looks at me. He's like, don't you guys lie, cheat, and steal? (laughs) And I said, yes, but never to each other. Mm. And never against, you know, we don't, you know, that whole, we don't use our superpowers for, you know, for evil. We really don't. Case officering another case officer is the worst thing that you can do in the director of operations. That's kind of like BS and a BSer. Right. Kind of sort. Right, right. And he just kind of looked at me and he was blinking. It was like, he just didn't know what to say because integrity is so important because they put people out there with you know, only weeks and months and sometimes years of training, and we expect them to do the right thing. 
when nobody's watching them, not when somebody's looking over your shoulder. You literally got a backpack full of money that you are going out to give to some warlord in Somalia. We don't call them warlords anymore. Right. Uh, non-traditional liaison partners. Um, <laughs> wow, nice. That's, but, but anyway, that's a good upgrade. So um, you have to know that we are stewards of the American taxpayers. People don't think about that. We don't do things for the sake of doing them. They all have a goal. What is the purpose of us talking to that guy, taking that guy to lunch or wanting to get you know, mm -hmm. this person, everything, everything has a purpose and a goal. And the ones who, who make it are the ones who take it seriously, recognize that people's lives could be uh, imperiled and that ultimately we don't work for the president. You know, I've worked for every president from Reagan to, to Trump. We work for the American people, the American taxpayer. So that's, yeah. that's what we do. Um, I, there's so many different directions I want to go right now. Um, first of all, I love that you remember everything, and I'm sure that comes with some like Daryl. You better remember <laughs> blocker. Um, uh, even when we were talking before, it was like you were going down dates, and it was this day on this week, and you know. Yep. Um, but I think I think at the end of the day, this is all about human connection. Right. Absolutely. Because um, it's like understanding motivations, understanding your own, keeping purpose and integrity behind every single move you make. Yes. And I think the same thing should show up in business. It, you know, right. The fire festival and it didn't show up. But but, um, you know, I guess broadly, what have you learned about just connecting with human beings? So I was a Cub Scout, a Boy Scout. I was junior ROTC in, in high school and then ROTC in college and then an Air Force officer. But I, I loved the early part of my life where I was an Air Force dependent growing up in the heel of the boot, Italy, down in Brindisi and growing up in Okinawa, Japan and hearing other languages and not always understanding them or being able to speak them. But I did leave Japan after five years being able to speak uh, Japanese, which of course the the uh, Japanese population between Okinawa and San Antonio dropped to almost zero, so I lost the ability to, right. to speak. But I just liked traveling. I liked being in other places. I liked learning about um, everything. You know, I wanted to learn everything that I could about everything that I could put my hands on. At some point, you know, have to prioritize and figure out what's the most important. But being around others and being around other cultures and learning and appreciating uh, how someone's perspective is, is, uh, is why I yeah. continue to, to pursue the overseas route, so to speak. Uh, and now that, now that you, so let's transition a little bit into your uh, civilian life. Right. You, you still say we, and like, it's, it's very, I, it's I know, very it's, active it's, speak. It's, 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 you know. <laughs> In the government, we use so many acronyms that we think it's normal, and mm -hmm. it really isn't normal. And so I'm, I'm always catching. I started about, I knew a year and a half before I retired that I was going to retire. So my last year and a half in the agency, I always made sure that I was very, like I was speaking to people who had never knew anything about the CIA or anything that we were doing. And I think that's helped me in my, in my post world. So what I'm doing now is I'm an ABC News contributor. Um, 
I am working with a major studio in second second season of a of a spy show as a technical as a technical advisor. And I've been doing some due diligence work for firms out of New York, and I work with Counterterrorism Watch, which is a um, uh, we we do training of private security all the way up to FBI. So I'm tapping into the experiences that I brought um, yeah. from the agency, but also tapping into the entertainment side that has always been there. I've been singing since I was in the third grade. Really? I, I sang at the University of Georgia Men's Glee Club. I sang in two bands overseas, one in Uganda and one in Senegal. And Were you undercover when you were in a band? I, I was. So undercover. <laughs> so undercover is... Not quite is, is not really undercover the way it's been depicted uh, in books and TV shows. There's an agreement between the State Department and the CIA that goes all the way back to the to beginning of the agency where we would be State Department employees, meaning I was a consular officer. I gave visas. I went through the training. I was a political officer in one tour. I was an economic officer in another. That's your day job. And you do have to fit into the embassy because there are foreign nationals working in an embassy. And like, well, how come Daryl's never in the in the econ section or in the consular section? Well, I was. Right. But my night job, of course, was my real job. And I remember my daughter asking me, like, oh, so you get paid twice. I'm like, no, dear. It doesn't, <laughs> like, it, it doesn't really work like that. It wasn't in the contract. But yes, I, I was I was undercover. I was the uh, uh, the station chief in East Africa. And there was a Berkeley School of Music uh, guitarist who was the spouse of one of the USAID officers. And he had found two Ugandans and two Congolese um, to start a band. And so I would go see these guys. It was a jazz band. I'd go see them every Sunday night. And um, they would see me mouthing some of the, some of the songs. They said, well, do you want to sing? I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's fine. <laughs> well, four months later, they come up to me and they say, well, do you, are you sure you don't want to sing? I said, no, not really. He said, well, your, your wife, now my ex-wife made a tape for us of 15, 20 songs that we know that she knows you love and sing. And the band learned them. I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll sing. Well, two and a half years later when I left, we were probably the biggest band. We were the biggest band in Uganda. No, no. I, yeah, yeah. I don't. That's amazing. I, I know it doesn't sound like a lot, but it was pretty cool. You're like you're, I, you're like a regular Josephine Baker. We did. <laughs> we did. Uh, For those of you who didn't know, I just I just learned this. Josephine Baker was a spy. Yes, she was. So, yep. Yeah, oh yeah. And then I'll tell you who Josephine Baker is. And uh, Harriet Tub <laughs> Harriet Tubman back for the for the uh, for the Union. Yeah, there's a history of of blacks being in the spy business. Yeah. Um, all right. So, in in your current iteration, you're are you going to revisit your 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 vocal pipes? You're going to go back to your Nina Simone. I've I've done a I've done um, open mic nights, right. but no, Sing, singing's hard. Spying was easy. <laughs> no, wow. no, seriously. Either you connect with someone or you don't. Being judged while you're standing in front of a group of people is true. a whole lot different than that one person sitting across the table. Either he likes you or she doesn't, you know, that type of thing. But when you got a whole audience of folks who are like, eh, or wow, that was, that was amazing. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I started off my career doing stand up comedy and black stand up comedy. At right. That, and it was like, oh, did, like every night is a kick in the nuts. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but you learn to survive kicks in the nuts. That's, I, the, that's the, that's the, I guess that's my, the story of my life. Um, we, we talked about this a little bit before. Um, you're sort of in transition, right? Like you're right. looking and, and kind of like putting those feelers out for what's the next move. Right. Um, and we were talking about how skills translate into, you know, like from an organizational standpoint and in my eyes, I was like, you're like a COO. Like, right. You know, you just, you could help people like run an organized business. You manage millions of dollars. Like you uh, obviously understand how people operate and what they need and what right. they want and what their motivations are and those kinds of things. Um, but talk to me a little bit about storytelling. Um, like your own personal story and how you, how you've, what your current experience is right. and like having business meetings, but people want to go, Oh, see, tell me, tell me about the time you were in the band. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I'm saying is that almost every door will open up to someone that has CIA ties. So people are just interested in the world of espionage books, TV shows, movies. They're just going to be around for forever. Getting the startup companies and getting the people who see CIA and they see my, you know, see my CV to ask questions that are more pertinent to what I hope I'm going to be able to do for that company. I'm seeing a trend there that after that initial, oh, we got to meet a real CIA guy to, yeah, we don't really know where to put you. We don't know how to, we don't know how to use you. We can't verify any of the information that's in there because even though, I went through the, the 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 appropriate process of coming out from undercover. The um, the vernacular and the words don't always translate yeah. to the to the modern world. But when you suggested a chief operating officer, that's exactly what a station chief does. They're doing more than running operations. They're handling relations between people in within the office, outside the office, back in Washington, across the world. Dealing with politicians, dealing with uh, billionaires and people with egos and presidents to everything in between. So I know that I have the I have the skill set that will pretty much fit into any any business. It really doesn't matter what the business is, because for us it always boils down to people, and either the people feel valued or they don't, and. Every operation that I ever saw go south went south because the humaneness, the humanity of that connection between the CIA and that agent got lost somewhere. Mm -hmm. That person is just a commodity. They are no longer an asset asset. They are just someone to give you what you need to know, what you need, and then, you know, basically drop them off and 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 press on. But knowing what someone's likes or dislikes are. And mention them. Oh, I see you. You know, your son's about to graduate from high school. I know you had a hard time with him last year. How's he doing? Well, they're people. Now, they're people who are spying against their countries and people look at them differently. I don't. I look at them as the same way I was taught growing up. Treat everyone the same way and you never have to worry about whether you're doing the right thing. Now, that operates from the premise that you're treating everyone nicely, but that's how I was raised right. in in my house in Georgia and all over the world. So yeah, no, because I, I, I think anyone who's innovating in any way, right? Because right. you're, you're changing the story, 
You're changing the narrative. Like, right. you know, if I go, oh, maybe everybody should be a taxi. I'm going to call it Uber. And you're like, nah, that sounds crazy. right? This, it, that person has to go and tell the story. We were talking to somebody earlier today who um, he said he went on 189 business pitches before he got his first investment. Wow. And, you know, over that course of time, I don't know what the span of time was, but I'm sure each time you like you go into it, you tweak a little bit of it and you try it. Now I'm going to talk about it this way. Oh, this person responded the same way the last person did. I know how to handle it this time. Right. So, you know, that journey of like just evolving the story so that it relates a little bit more broadly. Right. I've seen military resumes and I'm like, uh, what? I know. <laughs> or governmental. Right. It's, it's, um, it's a very different language, but those skill sets again, you know, right. kind of just cross boundaries. So essentially my, my narrative is this. If you give me the opportunity, I'm telling you whatever it is that you want to get done, I can make it happen. And that's not I know a guy. Not, yeah, yeah, I mean it's, it's kind of it's kind of <laughs> like that, but it it's it's seen sometime as um hubris. But I did have the CEO of one uh major studio, Hollywood studio, he said um Tell me what separates you guys from the other people who are in the intelligence, you know, intelligence business. And I said, we get shit done. And he kind of looked at me. He's like, I never thought of it like that. I'm like, yeah. Now, we handle things. We act. There's no, there's planning and then there's execution. A lot of people can't pull the trigger. A lot of people can do all the planning in the world, but they can never really take that, take that leap of leap of faith. And for the first time in 32 years, I'm out here on my own, drumming up my own business. And so far, so good. Yeah. And I'm either working for the best or the worst boss on the planet because I'm working for me. And um, time will tell. I'm enjoying it right now. But I'm not a I, I got to stay busy. I got to I got to be involved. I'm doing volunteering. I work with a group called Peace for Peace for Kids. Um, which works with youth in the foster system. Um, I'm volunteering, working with the OSS Society, which is the predecessor to the CIA. Um, I'm working with Third Option, which is, uh, we're about to reach back out to Third Option, which is essentially kind of like the SEAL Foundation for the uh, CIA officers who are kind of from those backgrounds. So giving back and trying to help folks yeah. is putting me in front of... Uh, of individuals who are saying, hmm, let's come talk to us. Well, the one thing I like about that part of your story is that that's not new, right? Right. And I know there was a, a, a large portion of your career that was dedicated to diversity and inclusion, Absolutely. even within the organization. Yes. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So your I was. Smile just came so, your face. No, I'm, was... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm smiling because for, you know, for the majority of my career. So I went overseas in 1992. And I came back from overseas in 2010. So I was gone for 18 years. Uh, and, you know, we were back and forth into the United States. But I said, I've never been anywhere long enough to really volunteer or to really help or really ever do anything. And so when I came back to the States in 2010, um, one of the first organizations I joined was the, was the DO or the Director of Operations um, uh, Women Council. People look at me, you were on the DO Women's Council? I'm like, yes, yes, I was. Because it really wasn't a, a woman issue, it was a leadership issue at the time. And there was a group of women who had, who had uh, questioned 
whether what they were doing and beating up against the wall was the right thing. Pretty much like the Me Too movement, but years and years before the Me Too movement. So I felt that I needed to be a part of it at the beginning to help them fight, you know, fight battles. At the time, I was had just been promoted to the equivalent of a one-star general, meaning I had some wasta, meaning I had some, you know, uh, some clout behind me. So I was part of the DO Women's Council. I was part of the DO African American Careerist. I was a part of the Asian and Southeast Pacific group. I was a mentor for them. But all of it had to do, and, and our gay and lesbian um, society angle, and all of it was the same message. I didn't change it for the Asians or for the Hispanics or the blacks or the gays. Do your job, do the right thing, speak up when you see something wrong, and if you can't fight the battle alone, come grab me and we'll we'll fight it together. Hmm. And that resonates with people. So giving back was something that I just did kind of behind the scenes. A lot of it percolated to the top. Um, there's a lot of people who just feel slighted for whatever reason, whether it was intentional or whether it was, you know, they no, had no idea that they, yeah. they irked somebody. And most of it was just getting people to sit down and explain why they felt that way and what was uncomfortable for them. And I'd say two-thirds of them you could resolve in almost minutes. It was the third that were the tricky ones, and some, <laughs> some of them, some of them even got ugly. But that's hu human relations are it's a, it's a messy business. Well, I think it's also like there's a universal language in there, right? We we everyone's felt slighted for some reason, exactly. right? If you are, I was my anecdote is like if you're over six foot three and you walk into a room, did you play volleyball, basketball, right? What, right. I did none of those things. I'm like, I'm, you're being a tallest. So, like, whatever, there's always some right. for, and, and, it, and granted, it has varying levels of severity, you right. Know, um, right, right, and consequence, but it's just, I think that sort of, oh, now, I, whatever you were discriminated against for, now I kind of have a little bit of empathy for you. Right. Um, speaking of which, have you been following this Jesse Smollett stuff? Do you have... I as soon as I heard the story, there were gaping holes. Uh, the first thing that popped in my mind was the uh, Tawana Brawley back in probably the mid-80s was a black female who claimed to have been raped by uh, members of the KKK. Um, of course, it was, it was debunked. Uh, Susan Smith, I was, I'm a Georgia boy, I was in in Georgia when Susan Smith pushed her car with her kids in it into the lake and killed him and claimed that it was a black guy that did it. St stories just don't hold water. I feel sorry. I feel sorry for the young man. He obviously has issues. It's going to take him a long time if he ever overcomes it. But I knew that there's the story just didn't make much sense at all yeah. to me. What should he have done? No, <laughs> no, let's play it out. If if this, let's put a CIA mind on it. If you were going to do that, he paid with the check. That was a that was a. <laughs> there's no CIA checks floating around. <laughs> he shouldn't have done it. That's that's Good, that's the first answer. thing. Because now what it has done is just like if you know if a if 
someone cries rape, male or female, it doesn't matter. Yes. Someone cries rape and it, and it wasn't rape or it wasn't even, no one, there's nothing happened. Well, that makes it harder for all the other people who are afraid to come forward. Now you have this guy who's on Empire, fantastic show, and is apparently upset with the deal that he got or didn't get. Right. How that scenario he yes, laid out was, was, was going to improve his mm -hmm. chances of getting more money, more screen time, whatever it was. I don't know. You never know what people are going through. You never know what people are thinking. But I would caution people not to throw the, the young man to the wolves, that he's a kid and that he's learning and that he messed up in front of the entire world. And it's... Um, we can help him move on to the next chapter, or we can basically paint him with this brush that's going to make him, you know, the the bad guy for you know years to come. I am listening, and I know I look like I'm about to say something, so I, I learned my lesson. But I, <laughs> I think because um, that, that that leads me to think about patience, right? And I think we live in a time where like everybody jumps on everything because of social media. Like yes. everybody has a voice and an opinion, and you fucked up, and you shouldn't have done that, right? But and then a, an hour later, another part of the story comes out, and everybody's like, oh. Right. Like, and so I think in the, in the craft that, you know, your career, right. patience is probably like, you know, paramount, tantamount, yes. one of those words. Yes. Um, would you, no, it's, you know words it's, better than I No, it's, it's imperative. Um, thank you. Imperative. Yep. But, um, I don't know, like, do you have any advice? <laughs> Cause I, it's just, a, it's a slight frustration that I have, like where people just jump on a bandwagon, good, bad, and different, um, at the immediate drop of a piece of information rather than like, first of all, staying out of it, you know, and, and not stirring the pot. Right. right. Cause, Oh, I can't believe he did. I went, I went in the same direction you did. I was like, what, like, where's the disconnect? Where's the mental disconnect where you go? Like, this is my means to an end. Mm -hmm. But, um, but anyway, that, I don't know if I have a question there fully formulated. So, the, the, what popped in my mind as you were talking is when I joined the Air Force, um, I arrived in the Republic of Korea in the summer of 2007 in the middle of, of the major military exercise between the, the, uh, our counterparts in Korea, not the North Koreans, the South Koreans, and the, and the U.S. military. And I don't know what they call it now, but it used to be called Old Chief Focus. Well, Given the results of what the pilots were supposed to done is called bombed out damage assessment, BDA. So every pilot swears that every bomb they drop hits exactly where it's supposed to hit. Well, that's just just doesn't. It, it, <laughs> it's like it, dropping the mic every right, finish right, right. verse. It, it, like, it, it wasn't that good of a verse, right. first of all. And and so the commanders would always be demanding, well, what's the results of the of the uh, well, give us a chance to collect all the information, and then we can, you know, we drop 17 bombs and they hit 17 locations and we'll tell you whether those 17 locations were the right one later, but there's a whole bunch of um, analysis that goes into that. Some of it's going to be satellites, some of it's going to be people on the ground, some of it's going to be the eyewitness of, of the, uh, the pilots from the, from the cockpit. But today's world, and it's not just in the United States, everybody just jumps immediately into wanting to know what happened and, you know, why, 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 or who is what they're looking at. Just give it a moment. 
to percolate, for everybody to process what's going on. And there's all the story always comes to light. Um, I think Megan, Megan Kelly, mm-hmm. Megan Kelly made one mistake and the world jumped on her. She was smart in bringing the other black members of the, of, I can't even remember what studio she was with, to, to basically say, hey, listen, I didn't know any better. Let's educate me and educate my audience on, on what we should or shouldn't do in the future. Well, they fired her like that. Well, some people say the ratings weren't good, whatever it was, but our propensity to just go for the jugular instead of just sitting back and figuring out, okay, what's the other side yeah. of this story? One of my instructors at the farm used to call it, you know, turning the mirror around. You need to see the reflection. You need to be looking at this problem from that person's eyes, from that person's perspective. And I've had that argument a whole bunch of times with this current president. I have no problem with this president as uh, the leader that was elected. He was elected. Give the man the chance to make to do his job. All the other stuff is just a bunch of it's what we call chaff. It's just right. that that white noise in the background that people who are entrenched in their views on both sides of the fence, if you just try and figure out a common, let's find an area where we can talk and work together right. and start there. Not all of our differences. You can have 99 differences. Well, let's not focus on the 99 differences. Let's focus on the one thing we have in common and go from there. Beautifully stated. Thank you. Um, the show is called Innovation Crush. I hope you knew that. Uh, I did know that. <laughs> and I listened to a couple of oh, that. Of course, right. man. Come what, on. What'd you listen to? What'd you listen to? Uh, oh, you forgot something. No, but. that was before we had lunch. That was before we had lunch okay, two okay. weeks ago. So, uh, 1992. Um, You're right. <laughs> I, just, just quickly. So you mentioned something about uh, did that translate to marriage? Well, I was married for 27 years, and I got in trouble a lot because. Oh, you can remember, you know, the, the time, date, and, and what you were wearing, and where the asset was, and all this, and you can't even remember this. I'm like. Mm, okay, you got me. Yeah, so it I, that's the way my brain works. I've tried to figure it out, but it that's it okay. Just, no, it, no, it I, is what I it is. Not um, but but having traveled the world, having seen you know analog culture and technology, and mm-hmm. just all the things that you you've done and what you're doing now, um, what do you currently have an innovation crush on? What's, what fascinates you right now? Artificial intelligence is. Something that's really intriguing to me. I don't even begin to try to understand it, but the world seems to be, you know, concerned that you know robots one day are gonna you know take over the world. Well, I, robots were built by humans, which means they can be dismantled and defeated by humans. And the human spirit is has proven time and time again that it can overcome disease, that it can overcome natural disasters, that it can overcome everything except for extinction. If there's a chance that man is going to survive, then the machines, which run on electricity, no, of course not. Turn, turn off the juice and guess what? 
eventually that robot is going to stop doing whatever it is it's doing. So I, I'm, I'm the not, Terminator. Right. Exactly. That's going to be the title of this episode. Yeah. Unplug the Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we start the CAI. The CAI. The Center for Artificial Intelligence. Uh, huh? No? All right, fine. All right. Uh, <laughs> no. So in, in, in CIA talk, CAI is Covert Action Infrastructure. So those are, there's, yeah. actually, there's actually a job in the CIA is person works what in I know CIA. That. No, you wouldn't. That's why, I, that's, but my brain, you said <laughs> CAI. I'm like, how does it know about it? <laughs> what? Yep. All right. Um, last but not least. Complete yes, this phrase for me. Innovation to me is innovation to me is opening up possibilities that no one has ever really, you know, there's innovation, there's no answer to innovation. Innovation mm. is in and of itself a living and breathing and moving and changing and shifting uh, body, um, idea. It's kind of like nothing that can really be captured. Innovation, innovation stops when people stop having the ability to, to connect. So innovation is connectedness to me. Beautifully stated once again. All right. Um, where can people find you? Um, where do they go? Or you, um, you don't want them to find you? No, you can find me. The quickest way to find me is, is on LinkedIn, Daryl, D-A-R-R-E-L-L. That's D-A-R-R-E-L-L. A.K.A. D-Block. Uh, <laughs> Daryl M. Blocker, B-L-O-C-K-E-R. Um, hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm always interested in meeting and learning what people are doing and... Uh, you know how we met at the influencers uh, dinner. Mm -hmm. There's just so many amazing people that I'm connecting with like you. And I, if I could get paid to do nothing but connect with people, which kind of I did for 28 years in the CIA, <laughs> but I, I'm just in a way that's just showing I could do I could do it all day, every day. I, I love it. I love I love learning. I love figuring out things that, uh, and um, mostly things that don't even interest me, um, still excite me. It's yeah. kind of, it's kind of weird. Yeah, but we, we joked about this before, like you, you love solving problems. Yes. And oh yeah. So, um, so thank you I did. Uh, again. You did say this. Yeah, I remember. I, did. I remember All what right. <laughs> that was same lunch. All right. All right. <laughs> Everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush recorded right here at the Century City WeWork, right, Justin? Um, we.co slash crush uh, if you want to get down with the program. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>